Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am grateful you've joined us for another episode today where I speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you. And just know I am here to help the C-suite leader of today and tomorrow navigate challenges with confidence. And I'm honored also to share the mic today with Anupam Nanwando. As a lifelong professional in the life science industry and with his AI experience and entrepreneurial spirit, he has given the power to create something wonderful in P360. He has a vision to transform the business of life science to ultimately facilitate more speed to market and more care to patients. And he has a passion for providing cost-effective cutting-edge solutions that make your businesses stronger and ultimately lives easier. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Deb. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, and I am as well. You know, to my listeners, I found Anupan, what he does is not only so cutting-edge, as I said in the bio, about how he helps people and change their lives. It's really, 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 really cool technology. But also, this is about him as a leader, as a person navigating the entrepreneurial landscape, what he's learned along the way, how he lifts others, and like I said, gives back to others as well. So I would love for you to share a bit about yourself personally, your journey, and the impactful work that you are doing now. Thank you, Deb. So a little bit personal about me. I was born in India and migrated to the United States in 90s in the tech boom. Actually, it was a Y2K boom. Some of your younger listeners may not know what Y2K boom was, but there was a lot happening. Been in enterprise software world since I came to the United States, primarily working in the life sciences industry. As The time went on, I worked on several different technological segments. Around 2007 or so, I started looking out and saying, I think there's more I can do and there's more I can bring to the market. And then as a child, like I can remember as going back as my teenage years, like I had that thought about entrepreneurship and what I could do. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I could do something. The people I was around growing up or the culture and everything which I had in me was like saying, you should at least give yourself a try. That was in me. And 2007, we started, me and my friend, Ed was, we started putting the ideas together. And as any entrepreneurial journey, you always look for the exciting thing, right? 2008 financial crash was right. Yeah. <laughs> like you, I, I hadn't even got out of the conceptual process, mm-hmm. and here is a, and it also is a part of what you just said, right? If you have your thought around something, you can't let anything deter you. Sometimes things could get delayed, but it, it doesn't deter you. So we kept fine tuning that, and it gave us some more perspective, also, right? Because this was twice in ten year period where markets had gone upside down, like 
dot-com bust and then the financial crisis. So it's big enough shock to shake you and then put your thoughts back in perspective. But then again, you also look at that from opportunity. One thing we can see over the last quarter or so of a century is every crisis has bought more innovation, more uh, efficiency, new entrepreneurships, and things of those nature. And that held true. And this was right around the time mobile computing, cloud computing was becoming the mainstream aspect of technology world, right? So if you look back now, 15 years in history, this was a pretty much a as big a revolution as internet coming to the surface in early 90s. We change how we work, we change how we live our lives and the whole new world. Which, and that helped us get take speed and get started. We started our business with a lot of services work in life sciences industry because that was our core expertise. And we knew the subject as much as anybody we were competing against. And I will put a little bit of entrepreneurial plug here. If you are a professional doing a technology business and if you can speak to your domain expertise, it's an amazing combination. And that helps everything you do in your business. It speeds up your sales cycle. Your customer trusts you when you are small and new. You need to prove your worth. And these things go a long way in establishing that. And that's such an important thing is to prove your worth. There are so many people, whether they're in corporate or starting their own businesses, they have their unique thoughts. They are passionate about what separates them from the pack. One thing you do have to do is advocate for yourself, put your words out there, have the courage to say what is unique to what you're doing or providing, because you never know people might take notice, or at least you have an opportunity for people to help evolve what you're doing or weigh in. We need to speak up. We need to learn a little bit about marketing ourselves because it's about relationship building and building trust with your target market. So please keep going the entrepreneurial journey. It is challenging. Yeah. Yep. And then we started seeing like one thing cloud did was is flatten the surface for new entrepreneurs. If you go back 20 years or so, it wasn't as easy for you to start a technology company because the infrastructure investments or the technology wasn't there for you. Now with cloud, you could start your company, have your data center sitting, whether it's an AWS or Azure and you are operating on par with industry best. So that gave us a turbocharge in terms of how we were envisioning our product ideas and what does the future look like. Then we were also ahead of the curve. One thing we were very clear, we wanted to be a different company. And it was a simple mantra. If Ed and I wanted to work for this company, then we were running this company right. If I were going and applying a job, And if I would be happy working here, that means our employees would be happy. The culture we build will be happier and things will go the way we want. And we have stayed true to that mantra, right? You have to be honest with your people. You have to build inclusive culture and respect people for who they are. The first big decision we made was a remote only company. And this is going back, I'm talking about 2014. So. Nowadays, we are all in a Zoom city or Microsoft team, and it doesn't sound very fancy, but put yourself eight, nine years ago, it wasn't very mainstream thing. 
And our main idea was we were not based out of Silicon Valley. So we are not operating in like a startup incubator or hub zone. And the industry we serve, pharma industry, is also a pretty large globally distributed industry centered in Northeast of the United States from the large company's perspective. We flattened the curve, I will use the terminology, on the talent acquisition. So what happened was by being a 100% remote company, we started getting engineers and people and in all positions, people who would come to us and say, I want to work for your company. And that became our competitive strength. It didn't matter where you lived. It didn't matter what you were or who. We only had one rule. Entire company is going to work like at least six, seven hours of common time zone. And that just gave us such a boost. So put a perspective of entrepreneurship, which is some of this core foundational decision can make or break your company. Could that decision have gone absolutely wrong? Probably. There's a good chance it could have, right? Mm -hmm. But it worked out well for us. And that put us on this journey. And also, the next big decision came is, and it goes against every conventional thought process. It goes of entrepreneurship. I got to find investors so I can start the business. We said, no, we are going to prove ourselves. We're going to bring in the revenue, which will go back in the business. And that's what will be our core investment, seed investment. You want to call it round A or whatever technical terminology you want to use it. Right. We are going to feed ourselves. It keeps two things in check, right? Holds you accountable Mm. because when it's your own effort, your own money and everything else on the line, you keep yourself accountable, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it also gives you a huge ramp in getting business started. Anybody who's listening this podcast knows it's not easy. It's not for faint hearted. And you know this as much as everybody, right? Like you did your own business. So it's not easy. There are uncertainties, there are shocks, there are things which you know, there are things you don't know. But once you are in this journey, you are responsible for it and you have to show that leadership capability. You can't let it impact your people or what your target vision is. So that helped us quite significantly. So if you connect all these dots, industry expertise, the technical expertise, the creative decision of remote working brought us. And we recently, a couple of years ago, launched one of our product called Zing. And it became huge success because it took all inputs from all these other things and what we brought to the market. And we are having a lot of fun right now. So I will take a pause and let you ask questions. I have so many questions in here, but I appreciate you sharing all of that journey because on a personal note, I feel what you have been describing, you know, even starting from the standpoint of investing your own money, all you can do is bet on yourself, your expertise and your close team around you. I could have taken a shortcut and artificially inflated numbers or projected myself bigger than maybe I actually was. And 
maybe I could have gotten some quick results, but I would not have, I'd say, to your point, build trust with the people that you're trying to impact and influence. You can get short-term gains, but you might not have long-term stability. And so just that's on a personal note. I mean, I've been bootstrapping the drop-in CEO. I am in this in the long game. I think one thought I want to share with my listeners is that, you know, if you have an idea, again, we are talking to you, whether you own your own business, you're still in corporate, you've just started out wherever you're at in your journey. If you have a vision, if you have a thought, don't worry about the competition. Stay true to it. Speak to it. Evolve it. Let people know what you're thinking. Let people weigh in. Let people dissent against what you're saying. That's also good. That's data. If you feel strongly about a particular strategy, put it out there. You can come to the drop-in CEO. I will help you to put your ideas out there. Or even for a C-suite leader, let me help you evolve that journey because we all need help. It's just so good to see somebody like you have such strong vision. But I want to start poking some questions in there. But before we get there, I would just love to know the name of your company, P360 Powered Possibilities. Tell me more about the essence of why that name, what does it mean? It's interesting that you asked me. And I'm glad you asked me that question. So P360 is uh, derived from company was used to be called Prescriber 360. So when we started the business, Prescriber means a healthcare professional, the doctors who we serve to. And informally, clients started calling us P360 because Prescriber 360 was long. Mm. And it's just one thing led to other. We went through a major rebranding exercise in 2019 and we just made it P360 as our brand name, tag name, and power possibilities. I think it, in a sense, says everything what I feel and what our company feels. There are a lot of possibilities. It's upon all of us to power them and how we can achieve what collectively we want to achieve, right? I love what you say about that. You know, again, you are the face of the business. I had the good fortune of also meeting your marketing person who also is an advocate. But when you create an entire community that believes and is invested, they all become advocates for your brand. One of the things that you said, which was very interesting, especially if you're new in your journey, or maybe a C-suite leader that realizes they need to get their message out there. It is good to put together a first draft of like, this is the brand. This is our logo. This is what we want to call ourselves. But you also have to allow that to simmer a little bit and listen to what your customers or clients are saying to you because how they receive you and how they see you is probably more important. So kudos to you for condensing it to P360. And that becomes something that people recognize. So Simon Sinek has a book called Infinite Game. If you take essence of that book, it makes so much sense in a granular level. Because a lot of time when we start this entrepreneur journey, we think, okay, I want to build X amount of value. I want to sell at this 10X, whatever your thought process is. Then now you have constrained yourself to what you could be. Leave that question open. Don't put yourself in a box. Oh, yes. You know, let me react to that again. You know, our listeners get to listen to us getting to know each other. But honestly, somebody said that about, you know, the box and putting yourself in the box. And and maybe we need to make the box bigger because we only grow as much as what we think we can. But as soon as you remove those barriers, it's like, what if? 
what if, what if you started projecting yourself out as this kind of company? Right. You can always fill in the blanks later with the talent, the resources and people. It's not, it's not deceptive, but it's showing the world your aspiration, your vision of who you want to be and how you want to influence. Don't worry so much about how you're going to do it. If you're ready and putting your intentions out there, the people and everything are going to show up when you need it to move you to that new place. So I love that. I also like the fact that you talk so much about being different. I mean, I would love to explore this a little bit different. So often we want to conform with what society expects us to be, especially if we're in the corporate environment. When we go out on our own, we say, well, this is what a consultant does. This is what an advisor does. I'm going to call myself a consultant. And I said no to that. I said, I am the drop-in CEO. We have to stand out and be a little bit different. So I want to ask you about your journey. Again, there's a lot of people in the tech space, a lot of people in the in the pharma space, but as a new entrant into that industry, how did you move forward, not be intimidated, not worry about the competition? Such a great question. And I'm very passionate and have a lot of thoughts around it, right? So when you start, like you look at the whatever your market space you are entering, right? There will be established players. There will be companies which have done this for 30, 40 years. There will be clients who will tell you, this is how we have always done it. So we are not about to change now. Because, But if you get past that and just let it get off your shoulders and not worry about too much, you have to find the gaps, right? There are always gaps. And this one of my clients gave me this analogy. We created a product called Sweetens and they are a pretty large company. I mean, they operate in 100 countries. And they said, you know, what's great about us is also what's our weakness. And that was right around the time the ship was stuck in Suez Canal. And that was moving like a couple of degrees a day and to turn around. And he said, that's how, like, it's hard for us. We have money, we have scale, we have presence. We are not very agile. We can't move things that fast. So when a new company comes in a market or innovates or something, their speed is something amazing because you don't have a legacy burden. You are not thinking what I sold 10 years ago, like if I do X, Y, or Z, it's going to cut down on my revenue here or all of that baggage you don't carry. So when you are innovating at that level and you are passionate, you know your subject, clients see value. It is very hard when you try and somebody, you inevitably, first, second, third clients will tell you, we have established relationships, we have established vendors, we don't have a room for you right now. Mm. But that cannot be the answer where you, you knew that begin with when you became an entrepreneur, there are people doing this. You thought you had a place to differentiate yourself and that's why you are there. So having that level set in your mind, is very important. Also, sometimes companies can become, I won't use the word arrogant. I don't think arrogant is the right word, but they get comfortable, right? Because if you are big, you've gone public or you have raised hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever that, you are in a commanding position and then you start licking oil on the smaller things. And that's to you as a new entrepreneur, your opportunity, jump at it find those areas of comfort, look at it and make a name for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a positive experience with 
your customers. You are going to feel like you're getting shortchanged on money. You might feel like you're getting shortchanged on some of the things which you agreed you ended up doing more. Like, take it as your equity investment. I mean, that's the only thing you can say, right? If you worry too much about, I got paid for six hours and I worked for 16. What about that 10? Yes, but take it as your seed investment. You will have to prove yourself. What you get in return is a happy customer, maybe a referenceable customer, and your goodwill. I so agree with that. For anybody that's building a business or if you're a C-suite leader and you're trying to do business development, do not try to sell the big package because they're few and far between. We are trying to build trust between ourselves and other people. Propose a smaller project, a lower offering just to build that trust. Because I will tell you nine times out of 10, when I drop in as the drop-in CEO, we agree to something small. We build that relationship. We deliver the product or service. We leave a lasting impact for which there is almost always the follow-on work. What else can you do? Who can you refer me to? So thinking long-term in terms of how can I evolve a relationship? Yes, you have to make some short-term sacrifices, but are they? Or are they maybe investments? I'm interrupting this episode to offer an absolutely free networking and educational opportunity I have created and I want you to be there. If you're a mid-level manager that loves your team and has a desire to accelerate your leadership growth, it is possible for you to become that executive leader in the next 24 months. Regardless of your area of specialty, and I know so many of you are talented, you have what it takes to be on the front line, collaborate with others, and get the job done. However, let me show you how to leverage that specialized knowledge to create solid connections with other leaders while shifting your focus from day-to-day leadership skills to long-term CEO strategy. Head over to my website, dropinceo.com, and click on the Drop-In CEO Collective to register for your next meeting. Now, back to the conversation. I just have to add a two cents because sometimes I weave into these conversations my love and for the sport of curling, or it could be any sport. When I used to play, because I can be the captain or skip, you worry about the other team, you know, oh, they're more experienced. Oh, they know how the ice is performing. And if you let that get into your mind, it negatively impacts your play. When you only focus on your strategy, and yes, you have to be mindful of external inputs, but focus on the strengths of your people, focus on your strategy. I have found that I have won more games using that strategy, playing my own game and being positive and focused on that and ignoring some of the external inputs or the expertise of the team, you can win. So the little guy is not necessarily the little guy versus the big guy. It's about playing smarter. It's playing your game. It's staying true to your values, which you exhibit. You have unlimited power to put yourself out there. Marketing, Mm -hmm. I think it's a great equalizer in 21st century with the advances of internet, social media, you may not have the same sales team in the suits and direct C-suite access to some of this larger company, but you are not restricted how you put yourself out there. And to me, that is unbelievable power, which people didn't have 20 years ago. And today's buyer it's different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 
your buyer is so much more educated when they come to table. They know everything about you. They know everything about your product. Now they are vetting you and how you get there. So if you don't do your homework and put your ops, it's going to look like zero return for first two years You when you do this. It's going to look like, what am I doing here? Why am I putting all these blogs or videos or whatever the marketing channel you want to use it? And there are lot more powerful and smarter people on the internet who can teach you about this. But if you don't do this, you are taking yourself out of the game. You can come to the field, compete at the same level if you do marketing, right? Yeah, it's about consistent and quality and always showing up there because I have also learned from grateful for a particular client of mine that when it comes to marketing, there is so much noise for which, yes, you will have to pay your dues and build that trust. And it can take several years, but you are building incrementally that trust, building that community, that potential funnel of people that could be interested. And I will tell you, you get a phone call. And then you get another phone call, but you have to be patient and disciplined to play that game and play that journey. Now, you're successful. You bootstrap your business. You have built a place where people want to come to, to come to work. People are all aligned behind your purpose for which that becomes your competitive advantage. People become your advocates. You have many, many marketing people in your company. But you as a business owner, what are some of your near and long-term challenges. I am sure you're always thinking about the future, new obstacles, new crises that could present risks or opportunities for you. What keeps you up at night or what bothers you that you're still trying to work through to have a viable business that serves clients? Yes. So what keeps you up at night is a separate, like a podcast in itself, like everything what you do, but in all seriousness, right? The one thing the way we looked at is, right, if you are a 10-people company, think what it does look like at 50. If you're a 50 people company, what does it look like at 150? And if you get to 150, what does it look like at 500? How are you gonna think through that, right? As every stage you go through, the challenges don't go away. Like means if you take the highest capital company on the NASDAQ or NSC or wherever, whatever the stock market, they would have their set of challenges, right? So they have brand identities, crisis, they have their set of product challenges. So challenges don't go away, but how do you plan for it? Because your honeymoon period will also end. When I say honeymoon period is when you're a small, there is a little bit of, okay, they're a small company, this is that or not, you might get some passes here and there. But if you are truly believer of an enterprise product or mass large, if depending on what you are doing, if large scale mass population roll out global products, whatnot, the companies which hire you, they have an inherent risk too, right? You have to check the boxes for them to validate that decision. So think big, execute small. So my point is like, for example, a few years ago, and like we are now close to 250 people, but we started this about two, two and a half years ago. We got all our products SOC to compliance certification. Is it mandatory for you? No. When you go for an enterprise buyer, is it expected of you? Absolutely. So there are a lot of things which go and you have to constantly evaluate and educate. You have to think about the risk which you are. But... At the core of this is, and I believe 
whatever my final journey looks like, the biggest legacy you leave is how do you create teams? How do you train your people to be that next set of leaders? Unless you do that successfully, you are not a successful entrepreneur. At that point, it's a successful product. But if you can create people and give them that knowledge and that experience and risk-taking, right? If somebody fails first time and you take that away from that person, is he or she may never try again. And then now you lost that person for good, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're just doing job. So I'm very strong believer in how do you bring your people up because that's what keeps them motivated. Like they also have a career, right? So if people put trust in you and they're working for you, your goal is to succeed company. Their goal is to succeed their careers. So if you can't stay true to that, then you're missing a point. So some of these things are very, very important from entrepreneur perspective that you can at least vision the scale, vision the execution. Before you actually do it, you have to visualize it. So I'm going to ask you a slightly different question before we start bringing this to a close. You obviously think deeply. You perhaps have a good co-founder or team around you to help think through these things. But did you ever have a point where you had a point of uncertainty? Again, you had grounding values, vision, et cetera. You got to a point where it's not working as expected. It's taking longer, et cetera. How do you get the support you need to validate or evolve what you're doing and then to continue to move forward. Because regardless of where people, C-suite leaders, entrepreneurs, people still in corporate, we do get stuck. What do you do to help you get unstuck and keep going forward? I've been very fortunate before even I begin my professional journey, like a business journey, I build good relationship. And there are a lot of people who are subject matter experts. They might have experiences. There are fellow entrepreneurs. One thing sometimes we start thinking like, okay, if I ask so-and-so person something, I don't know what she is thinking or what he is thinking about me. Take that fear off. Ask people as many questions. Be honest about it, right? Why you value their input. People are so willing to give you guidance and input. I think the first step is on you to ask that question. So don't ever be shy. And it also goes in, stay true to yourself. Don't try to be somebody you are not. Like, and I will say this, if you're competing against a big company, you try to act like them, you are not them. Mm -hmm. Then you are a second copy and you're not going to do as good as them, Mm -hmm. pretending to be them. So be yourself and don't be afraid. A lot of times, I think one of the things which happens in every business, people get intimidated. Once you get that intimidation out of your mind, Mm -hmm. nothing stops you. You are your own person. I think that's probably one of the most important closing thoughts that separates us from just the average worker to the entrepreneur, from the person that's stuck in a job to somebody that says, I'm in control of my career. And if I can't do it here, I can do it someplace else. We have to get rid of that intimidation factor. So, so important. That's what our society, cultures, people like you are built on. Get over it. Get over it and be true to what you believe is the work that you should be doing. This has been an amazing interview. I want people to get to know more about you. Check out the technology, how you serve service providers. We didn't even go there, but I think it was so much more important to bring out who you are as a leader, how you built an amazing company for our listeners to understand and potentially read more. 
anything else that you'd like to share as a closing thought before we close the show? No, I think this was great to be here. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. And as you can probably feel in my voice, I'm very passionate about this. And the last line I will leave, I think you have a lot of listeners in, you have global listeners, but a lot of them are in the United States. Think of my story as America's story. What America can do for you is unbelievable. No other country in the world can bring that power to it. You have unlimited opportunities. You got to go get it. It's upon every one of us. We all have talent. We have ideas how we can do this. Don't be scared. Go for it. And with that, you're bringing some tears to my eyes. Anapan, thank you so much for dropping in on the Drop-In CEO podcast. I'm grateful to have you part of my network, and I do want to wish you continued success and be well. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.